We both want to keep cannabis out of the hands of the youth, and we both have the opportunity to educate. The pod class is in session. I'm your host, Jamie Anderson, and as we delve into best practices for education about substance use and prevention this episode, Ben Schwerer will be joining us shortly from Rocky Mountain Collective, which is a locally owned and run cannabis store in Hinton, Alberta. Our conversation today is taking place on the ancestral and traditional territories of the first peoples of the Treaty 6 and Treaty 7 regions. We'd like to situate our conversation in the land that we're on, recognizing the land as one of our many relations. We come into this conversation with gratitude to the ancestors, elders, knowledge keepers, land and water protectors, both past, present, and those that are in the making today. So before we jump in, just a reminder to our listeners that podcast learning is mobile. As you are listening, we invite you to tend to your wellness through physical activity like walking or yoga, through an arts-based activity, or through any means that feels best for you. Welcome to PodClass, Ben, and thank you for being here. So as our listeners are thinking about ways to tend to their wellness, I was wondering if we could get started, uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing some of your own favorite ways to nurture your wellness. Sure. Um, so I'm an avid mountain biker in the warmer months, and I'm actually due to go skiing for the first time this Thursday, which I'm super excited about. Um, I feel like exercise gives me like a vitality, a lust for life, but uh, I also feel like getting adequate rest is important to me. I don't just mean getting enough sleep, but listening to your body when it feels tired. I've also practiced yoga in the past and found great benefits from it, uh, mainly like the five minutes after you practice and you just lie there. Uh, it's just pure bliss. So I haven't done it in a while, but I'm planning to get back into it soon. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you for sharing those things. Uh, and I, I think your advice around, you know, getting rest and staying in tune with yourself through your food and through your activity, I think is just fantastic. And sometimes we get bogged down with our responsibilities. And, and now in, in a world where we're doing a lot virtually, uh, we forget those pieces. So thank you for those reminders. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, taking time for yourself is really important in in this day and age. Absolutely. So Ben, please tell us about yourself, including your current role and what your work entails. For sure. So uh, I was actually born in Ireland. I only came to Canada like two years ago. And that was to work in the cannabis industry. I'd always been super interested in the science behind cannabis from a young age, I think probably from from seeing movies and watching TV uh, relating to cannabis. Um, So I see my role as an educator uh, for both our staff and our customers. I feel like education is vital in breaking down the stigma surrounding cannabis. So my work entails a lot of research and the science behind cannabis. So I have those answers for the customers that are curious, um, as well as researching new products and formats uh, of the substance. So I live for those customers that want to learn. I see it becoming more and more common the further we progress into legalization. Uh, especially our younger customers. Um, And I see them as the next generation of educators. So I want to see them teach their kids about cannabis uh, based on facts. Fantastic. So I'm curious, you've been in Canada for two years, you said. What are the differences between cannabis use in terms of like narratives and legislation between Canada and Ireland? And is any of that difference, you know, involved in your in your decision to come to Canada? A lot of it was. So it's totally illegal in Ireland even, and it's still totally frowned upon. The stigma there is massive. I mean, 
I grew up with my mom telling me like it's it's going to turn me into a murderer and you know I'll never get a job and it'll ruin my life and it's simply not true. Not that I couldn't justify living in a country like that, but it certainly didn't want to, want to make me stay. You know what I mean? I wanted to come to Canada. Uh, my initial goal was actually to come to Canada, learn the industry inside out in hopes that it would be legalized in Ireland uh, eventually and then I could actually go back home and uh, open up a store there and goal of breaking down the stigma. From your experience in Ireland, do you see any of those myths kind of persisting here in Canada in your work? Not so much. Um, I, I think that the mindset here, even before legalization, wasn't uh, as bad as it was in Ireland. Yeah, actually, th- there was one instance where uh, I was actually walking to work one day and this, this woman stopped me and she was like, do you work in that pot shop? Like she was right outside, right? And I was like, yeah, I do. She's like, oh, potheads are, you know, you're never going to go anywhere. I was kind of blown away by that. I was shocked because it was kind of the, the first instance I, I, I'd had any kind of negative feedback. Initially, when I came here, I was actually quite nervous about working in a cannabis store and telling people I worked in a cannabis store. And, and that's like my own stigma, I think. You know what I mean? I, even though I know it's fine and I know it's acceptable, but there was a part of me that still felt like I could talk about it and I couldn't be open about it. Absolutely. And you know, that brings us to a really important point, because I think as educators, we walk a very fine line around this. And and now that cannabis is legal in Canada, I think we're in a particular position where um, we're, we're mm-hmm. feeling like torn between that, that stigma that we have been immersed in for most of our lives and a better approach to education and and breaking down that stigma so that we can better engage in these conversations with our youth and our our students. So with that, you know, our audience is largely pre-service and in-service teachers. They might be wondering right now why we've invited you to join our podcast, you know, as as someone who works at a a cannabis dispensary. (laughs) Can you share with us why you think health promotion organizations and cannabis dispensaries are unlikely allies? Sure. Um, I feel like we both have common goals, common interests. Uh, In particular, we both want to keep cannabis out of the hands of the youth. And we both have the opportunity to educate. Um, with health organizations like yourselves working closely with teachers to educate young people on the dangers of using cannabis. And then cannabis stores have the opportunity to educate the parents of those young people or parents-to-be. So I feel like working together is important as we want to relay the same message. Um, cannabis is a relatively safe drug if consumed responsibly by an adult. But for the developing brain, it can re- wreak havoc. Awesome. And you you really talked about your interest in the scientific research and understanding around cannabis use. Yeah. Uh, And I think that that knowledge, you know, is important for you in your role uh, uh, in selling cannabis. But I think that that knowledge and being in tune to the the newest information and newest research is also such an asset for educators uh, as well. So I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit more, what are some opportunities for dispensaries and educators to join forces to address cannabis use in youth under the age of 18? Hmm. Well, I think we're doing it right now. Uh, I think an open dialogue between educators and dispensaries uh, within local communities are key. So even like having principals or vice principals reaching out to local cannabis stores with any questions or uh, even setting up Zoom meetings for uh, educators that feel like they'd like to know more. Um, that's something that I'd actually be interested in in hosting uh, and, and being a part of. On that note, 
uh, what the heck do teachers need to know about cannabis? I think we make the joke that we're not really hip to the lingo and we know that this language changes often, but what do we need to know about terminology? Um, what do we need to know about cannabis use in order to help identify use in young people and support uh, youth in, in making decisions about cannabis use? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I suppose... Uh, like you said, the lingo uh, and slang, it changes so rapidly that it's hard to keep on top of. But I suppose there's a, a new concern, uh, which we should be uh, aware of, and I think teachers should be aware of, is uh, cannabis concentrates. Um, so these concentrates can be anywhere from 30% all the way up to 90% THC, which is the active ingredient in cannabis that's responsible for the intoxicating effects. So these concentrates can be referred to anything from uh, dabs to shatter, butter, batter, caviar, wax. It could, the, the list goes on forever. So uh, I don't think it would be a bad idea uh, for teachers to do a little research on the different types of concentrates available because there's just so much of them. In terms of like identifying use among youth, um, the scent would be a big one that would give it away especially if they're consuming in school, they're going to smell like cannabis, right? For the most part, you know, uh, disassociation, lack of interest. If they've got passions and interests and you see that kind of slowly starting to trickle away, that could be a sign that they're, uh, that they're using cannabis. Social, if, if you see them like going from one friend group and then they start hanging around with other people, that, that's kind of another giveaway as well. I would just keep, keep a close eye on them. In terms of cannabis use now so you brought our attention to these concentrates mm -hmm. and uh that that's really helpful and, and like you say the lingo changes and, and the use changes it's important for us to know though that there are different modes of consuming cannabis yes i'm wondering if you can tell us about maybe the different modes of consuming cannabis and that I think will steer our conversation into a little bit more about like vaping, which I think is coming to be a concern specifically in schools now. 100%. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways you can consume. Um, there's the dry flower to, to, to start with. It's probably the most common way it's consumed right now. So you could put that on a joint or a bong. Then we've got edibles. Edibles, I feel, are particularly dangerous among youths. Uh, first off, because it's candy, right? And chocolate's nice. We all love chocolate. Uh, but, but more so uh, the risks of uh, over-consuming. So you could have one bar that's 10 milligrams and have another bar that's 1,000 milligrams, and they could look identical. In the, the legal cannabis stores, the most we can sell per pack is 10 milligrams. But I, I've seen bars, you know, 1,000, 2,000 milligrams on, on, on the street or, like, friends that have them or whatever. So um, that's concerning to me. I mean, somebody who's never eaten cannabis or consumed cannabis before they eat a, a hundred or a thousand milligram chocolate bar they're gonna have a really bad time for a very long time um like upwards of 48 hours for, for very high doses especially uh people new to cannabis so i think that's a that's a big danger it's not going to kill you it's not going to kill anybody but it's going to give them a really really bad time and they may um it, it could cause a psychotic break especially in the developing brain so yeah, edibles I would be very, very wary with. They're very difficult to spot too, unless they're in the original packaging. It would be it would be hard to um hard to see them, or hard to to know what they are. Luckily, the legal ones, most of them have an imprint on them. This is another one that has popped up. So maybe this is a, a follow up question around 
beverages because we've started to see uh, some cannabis beverages, whether they're CBD or THC beverages. Do you have you seen these become more common in your store? Do you think that um, there are some conversations that need to be had amongst educators around these beverages, kind of in the school environment, where maybe uh, it's not as easy to spot, like you said, the edibles are maybe a little bit challenging to spot as well? Yeah, yeah, no, the drinks for sure. Um, drinks are usually lower concentrations of THC, at least the ones that we have available right now. They're in around 2.5 milligrams of THC. And again, the, the way the legal industry is structured, it's to prevent overconsumption, which is why they have those uh, limits on uh, how much THC they can put in each pack. That's good to know. So a beverage like that for a first time user, mm-hmm. is that something we would be able to spot? Or do you think uh, there are some, yeah, there, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe that question's not relevant, but I, yeah. I just figured I'd ask. Yeah. Would, would you see the signs? Is that yeah. what you're asking? Yeah, um, it's going to vary from person to person, and it's also going to vary uh, with weight. Okay. Uh, somebody like myself, I'm what I'm like 60, 68 kilos. I've quite a bit of experience using cannabis, but a two point five milligram drink wouldn't affect me. Okay, like yeah, um, a kid maybe. Yeah, but like starting doses for edibles, people usually start with five or ten milligrams. Adults. Okay. And the effects would be mild, not for everybody, but for the most part, those effects would be mild. Perfect. You know, that's that's really helpful to know because I think yeah, our, our understanding, you know, is shaped so much by myths and and that any consumption would would cause these significant effects. So for you to kind of map out for us what that looks like in the amounts, I think is really helpful mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So, so now kind of you, you mentioned this uh, cannabis smoking the the dry flower. We, we have seen. Uh, smoking kind of shift into vaping where we see a lot of vaping devices available for cannabis. And we know that these uh, are a little bit more uh, discreet, but really easy to find. And and we know that vaping amongst teens is already common. So I'm wondering if you can tell us, you know, what do teachers need to know about cannabis use through vaping devices, including safety concerns or or anything else that you have to offer us in terms of what we should know? For sure. Um, like you said, devices are so discreet now, they're going to be very hard to spot. And the difference between a cannabis vaporizer and a nicotine vaporizer is almost non-existent. Like you've got uh, vaporizers that look like jewel pods now that, that are actually designed to, to consume cannabis. Another issue I see with them is uh, they don't all smell like cannabis anymore. So some producers will leave out terpenes. Uh, terpenes are like the essential oils in the plant that give it that smell. Okay. Um, or some of them will actually mask the smell with fruity flavors, so making it really difficult to identify. I'd recommend teachers research what vaping devices look like um, because they can look anything f- from, from like a fountain pen, uh, and I've even seen devices that uh, mimic car keys. So, I mean... It, oh, wow. Yeah, there's companies out there that, that, that want to make this discreet because, you know, not, not all adults want people to know that they smoke as well, right? And that's part of the reason why we want to break down that stigma. Interesting. So I, I know that there have been uh, reports of vaping devices exploding and the devices themselves causing harm. When we're thinking about a harm reduction approach to this, mm-hmm. um, and we're thinking in terms of our, our youth safety, are there vaping devices that we should be really concerned with about them cells being kind of an issue or a safety issue for youth 
in the legal market, um, it, it's so heavily regulated that, that I feel like the devices themselves are actually quite safe. I would be more concerned with the illicit market in a, in a harm reduction approach. I mean, if you're going to do it, make sure you, you get it from a, a legitimate source, right? That whole E-Valley outbreak that happened recently, all those uh, deaths from popcorn lung, um, that was actually due to a chemical called uh, vitamin E acetate that was used as a dilutant agent in a lot of the vapes in the US, um, the black market cannabis vapes in particular, because it was cheaper than other dilutant agents. But the way they saw it as it was food safe, so they would put it in there thinking it wasn't. And what it did was it, it actually uh, settled in the lungs, right? It was inhaled, but it wasn't exhaled, which caused um, the fluid buildup and pneumonia-like symptoms uh, after that. So I would uh, definitely exercise caution from any any devices gotten from the, the illicit market. Yeah, when we're thinking about not just uh, the product itself, but the vaping products coming from a legal source, I think that's helpful for, for uh, educators to know for that harm reduction approach. Yeah. So as an educator, you know, I don't often, you know, our education professional development doesn't often address cannabis use in the same way. And I think it, it still is very highly stigmatized amongst uh, teachers in, in the education profession. And uh, there are all of these lines that that we have to kind of walk under that guise of professionalism. So what don't we know that we really should know in our approach to cannabis education with youth? Well, I think educators need to be aware of how detrimental cannabis can be if it's used before the brain fully develops, and in particular the prefrontal cortex. Uh, this area of the brain doesn't fully develop until the age of 25, uh, with most development taking place during adolescence. So there's some communities or scientific communities that, that actually believe that the legal age to consume cannabis uh, should be 25. This area plays a major part in decision-making, planning ahead, and self-control. So it's also full of receptors that the THC bind to, which in turn interferes with its development. Uh, so consuming cannabis during its development leads to negative cognitive and social implications. So I think uh, the focus should be on, okay, if you're going to use it, wait till the right age. Not don't ever use it. It's the worst drug in the world. Absolutely. And I think the understanding why is so important. And I think as brain science revolves and research around um, neurological functioning evolves, we we can recognize what these impacts are long term. So absolutely, I think that's really important. And and breaking down the stigma means we have to we have to know that information. For um, sure. So in terms of cannabis itself, you know, mm -hmm. what do you wish all teachers knew about cannabis? Like I said, I think it's important teachers know the whys when it comes to cannabis. Um, so cannabis has been demonized over the years while pop culture has glorified it. And I feel like these mixed messages have like softened teens' views on the substance. So I think statements like cannabis is going to rot your brain or it's going to ruin your life, they're just not believable to young people anymore, especially now with all the information in the world available at their fingertips. So... Uh, I think the focus should be on the straight facts regarding the consequences of premature cannabis use. Yeah, we need to remove from our vocabulary those pieces that that even we know aren't true. And, and I mm -hmm. think we need to take a more nuanced approach. And that's why we're so happy to have you uh, having this conversation with us, because I think these nuanced conversations and moving away from the black and white can really facilitate transformational learning and, and transformational learning practices in our schools. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I feel like we need to stay credible with, with what we tell teens. If they suspect that we're lying to them or that we're just trying to scare them, well, they're not going to believe anything we say. And I think that's the key. Yeah, in terms of relationships being important in, in classroom environments or you know within families, uh, between parents and their youth, it's so important to stay credible. Uh, so in your role, you you do a lot of work educating folks about cannabis. And I'm wondering if you can share with us maybe some of the most impactful stories or strategies that you've used uh, or come across to help break down this stigma and, and open up these organic opportunities for real nuanced conversations. For sure. Our industry right now, it's quite challenged in the sense that we have no voice outside of our walls. So all the education and things we got to do, we got to do it within our four walls. So we, we rely on the people coming in here and asking us those questions. So we pride ourselves on being a professional organization. Um, we keep our storefronts crisp and clean, so it's inviting to all walks of life and age groups. Um, we use education to encourage our customers to ask as many questions about cannabis as they like, and to use as many, uh, and actually to use cannabis as an experience enhancer rather than just a means to get intoxicated. Even the term marijuana is meant to stigmatize the drug. Um, in an effort to help break that stigma, we, we refer to it as cannabis, um, the scientific term or the Latin term for it. Um, so it was actually in the 1930s that the word marijuana was introduced to the American public. Um, Harry Anslinger was a government official. And he was responsible for using it as a way to tie cannabis use to Mexican immigrants. Uh, it was right around the time of the Great Depression, and they were kind of just looking for somebody to blame. So I feel like it's our job to make sure our customers have a good experience, which is why asking questions and starting that conversation is so important. I feel like that is really helpful too, Ben, because we often, and I think this comes from those narratives that have been well entrenched uh, through through media or, you know, a kind of our, our moral narratives around cannabis use, um, is we often think, you know, a cannabis store is trying to push sales and yeah. what, what I hear you saying is that uh, cannabis stores are a means of education that you wouldn't normally get um, in terms of, like, I think in terms of other substances that our young people are using, a liquor store, um, they don't necessarily provide that education uh, no. that you're providing. The two totally different experiences. I mean, we, we see this store as you're not just coming to the store to buy weed. You're coming to the store for an experience. We have customers come in not looking to buy and they're just curious and they just want to have that conversation and honestly i i don't mind spending 20 30 minutes out there speaking to a customer if they're going to buy if they're not going to buy if it's just to educate them i'm totally fine with that i think that's time well spent awesome so thinking again we're, we're in this constant conversation about education um you have your approach to your customers in your store what is one thing that a teacher could do to either increase their own awareness or break down their own stigma or bias? What are, what are some things that they can do to better educate themselves on cannabis and prepare themselves for these conversations with youth? Well, straight off the bat, I'd suggest walking into a cannabis store and having a conversation with one of the staff. I think that act alone will shed some light on, on what this industry really is. You know what I mean? Um, there's a lot of really passionate people here. Uh, and they love sharing their knowledge. The new age cannabis fanatics don't fit the stereotypical stoner, and the stores, for the most part, don't reflect that either. We're young, passionate professionals that share a common goal of breaking down the stigma. 
I'd also check out Leafly. So there's a couple of websites I'm going to list out here, which they, they have accurate information and site studies. So there's Leafly. Um, those guys have everything from Cannabis 101, Concentrate 101, pretty much everything there is to know about cannabis on there. Um, Project CBD is another website that's full of accurate information. More kind of scientific based and, and more fact, not, not more fact based, but um, a little heavier reading on the Project CBD website. For those who, like, who want really detailed information, um, Dr. Ethan Russo, he has some great articles online. Um, and he's actually got some of his lectures up on YouTube. So yeah, I would, I would check those guys out for sure. So the resources are out there. It's just a matter of teachers inviting themselves to access those, those resources. And then as a profession, really thinking about how we can work together with experts in the field to better build our own awareness and then take up these conversations in a different way in our schools. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ben, so much for taking the time to share your expertise with us today. Oh, my pleasure. You mentioned that you would be interested in doing some sort of education, whether with teachers or, or folks in the community about cannabis. I'm wondering if there is a way that folks can get a hold of you for that. Absolutely. Yeah. You guys can get a hold of me at uh, marketing at ormcollective.ca. I'd be more than happy to set up a, a Zoom meeting or something like that for you guys. Thanks, Ben. Thanks to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music. And a special thank you to Stephen Hurley from Voice Ed Radio for production assistance and sound editing. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EverActiveAB, on Facebook at EverActive Schools, or visit our website everactive.org for more great content and resources. Until next time, the podcast is dismissed. <laughs>